Well, serving Christ in any time can be difficult. And I, I think that we sense that there's a shift in our culture to where serving Christ, well, it's perhaps not more difficult than it was, but the form of the difficulty has certainly changed. There's more opposition. There's more hostility in some circles. I think we can overestimate that in our Social media-driven age, the loudest voices are those who are on the fringes, and so sometimes we can overestimate the hostility that some people feel toward the Christian faith. I'm certain of that, in fact. And yet, there is this growing mood that we're all aware of. We can't miss it. And so following Christ requires that we follow him against contrary winds, against the tide, in every age, in every culture, we have to stand for Jesus, even when it's not popular and even when it's not easy and even when it might cost us. And so we've been looking over the last several weeks at some churches in Asia Minor at the end of the first century who faced opposition. In fact, more overt and severe opposition than we have faced by far, persecution that threatened their livelihoods, and in some cases actually threatened their lives. Well, we don't face that in the United States. There are many Christians around the world who face exactly that. We don't face that. And yet we do, we do face slander and ridicule and rejection and opposition and some forms of prejudice. There can be ways in which the world expresses its hostility. And in those settings, in that culture, we're not called to cave, we're called to stand for Christ. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last number of weeks, how we do that as Christians in our world, in our setting, using these letters, seven letters to churches in Asia Minor as letters addressed to us in the United States. Today I want to look in Revelation chapter 3. There we read of the church in Philadelphia. It's a remarkable church, a church that had faced opposition and yet had been faithful to Christ through it all. And in this letter, Jesus never rebukes them. If you notice in these letters, the typical the typical message is, you're doing fine here, but man, you've messed up over here. And the Lord corrects them for it. Here you don't see that. Philadelphia has been faithful to Christ. I want us to read, starting in Revelation 3, verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. That door that is open doesn't refer to the door of mission, but to the door of the kingdom of God. Jesus holds the key of David. He is Messiah and he has opened the kingdom to those who put their trust in him. And no one can stop an individual from entering the kingdom of God. That's the point here. Verse 8, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. 
I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And then in verse 9, he uses words that pull us up short. You remember I spoke to this issue some time ago. We have to be sure we don't read these words anachronistically. Later in church history, when the church compromised with the world, became part of the governmental structure of the world, often Christians, at least professing Christians, became persecutors of the Jews. And with that history, this next verse can, well, it can be chilling. But you have to remember, we all have to remember, that at this time, the Christians were the ones who were the small persecuted minority. The Jewish community in Philadelphia and other cities of Asia Minor was quite large and prosperous and were intent on stamping out this new faith of people following Jesus. So with that in mind, verse 9, he says, I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem who is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name to be a pillar in the temple, the place where God manifests his glory and his presence, to never leave that temple. That's a promise that one day these believers will be in the immediate presence of God, standing with God in his glory, never for that glory to depart from them. And when he speaks of the name of God, They're marked with the name of God, marked with the name of the new Jerusalem, representing the kingdom of God coming to earth, marked with this new name that Jesus bears, this mysterious name, somehow associated with his death and resurrection, redeeming people for himself. By bearing the name, the believers are marked as belonging to God. God is is saying, you're mine, and you'll be mine for all eternity. Verse 13, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, when you read through this passage, the the note that, that is prominent is the importance of endurance. Jesus actually commends the believers in Philadelphia for their patient endurance. The Greek is hupomone. And that word means not the kind of endurance that just hunkers down and takes it. Not the kind of weak, passive, bearing suffering. But rather, the kind of triumphant fortitude that stands up straight, that believes in God, that has courage, and in that courage refuses to yield 
the kind of endurance that not only meets the challenges of the day, but transforms them into an opportunity for God to be glorified. He commends them for their patient endurance because they were enduring the troubles they faced with that kind of triumph and fortitude. And then, having commended them for that, he commands them to do more of the same. He says, hold to what you have. Hold it fast. Don't let it go. Keep it no matter what might happen. Be faithful to me through it all. The promises that he, he lays out at the end of this passage go to those who patiently endure to the end. Now, this is a New Testament theme. You find it not just in Revelation, but throughout the New Testament that Christians must be ready to stand against opposition. That opposition comes in many different forms, but that's the normal Christian experience. You're going to hit some headwinds. I remember years ago, quite a few years now, when I ran in the Cowtown Marathon. I didn't run the marathon part, I ran the 10K. But nevertheless, for me, that was enough of a challenge. And one morning, one year, there was quite a bit of wind, but I didn't feel it. The, the, the city buildings were blocking it for the most part, and so the race begins and run into Fort Worth and around through the city and then come out. And Well, I had been running for a few miles by that time. And then at one point, I took a turn. And instead of blocking the wind, suddenly it hit me in the face. It came down the street and it was like a blast right in my face and it didn't feel good. And the thing that was interesting is it seemed like such a surprise. I can't believe this is happening. I'm exhausted. I want to quit. I'm telling myself, just keep one foot going in front of the other. I had to do that because there was a guy about 25 years older than me who was shuffling along, passing me. <laughs> I can't quit. No matter, no matter how bad it gets, I have to keep pressing on. And I, well, I endured. I can't quite say I triumphed. Though, though in the retelling, I've sometimes made it a triumphant finish. But, but in actual fact, it was, it was pitiful. It really was pitiful. But I, I made it across the finish line. I couldn't stand up in church the next day. Let's all stand up and sing. And I'm like, trying to push myself up. I'm so sore. Sometimes as we run this Christian race, we hit Contrary winds. It's a blast in the face. And then we think, oh, well, what a surprise. I can't believe this is happening to me. Well, as a matter of fact, it's all predictable because the New Testament makes it clear that's exactly what we're going to experience. And we have to be ready for that. And we have to deal with that when it comes. Do you remember a few years ago when texting became, it came on the scene? It was a new thing. And early on, when they had that autocorrect feature, no proper names were included in it. 
So like if you wanted to text Ben, capital B-E-N, you started typing and you kept getting B-E-E-N. No matter what you tried, you kept, get, kept correcting it. And it wasn't easy at that time to get it right. You couldn't just press a button and keep what you'd actually type. It was annoying. People complained about it. They said, this is a bug. We can't, we can't have this. At that time, the software engineers who designed this whole process famously said, it's not a bug, it's a feature. And you've heard that expression, right? It's not a bug, it's a feature. Well, the kind of opposition we're talking about is not a bug in the Christian life. It's not, it's not something alien to the Christian life. It is a feature of the Christian life. And we have to be ready to face that. With what? With triumphant fortitude. With joyful courage. Not with an angry, sour, passive defeatist kind of mindset that says, well, I guess I'll just, just hang in there. But with the kind of faith that these early Christians evidence, certainly there in Philadelphia, that's what we're called to do, to have triumphant fortitude through it all. I was thinking yesterday about that, that phrase that was used by the Peace Corps to recruit people. You remember what they said? Anybody? The toughest job you'll ever love. Now, in the back of my mind, I thought, well, was it the Peace Corps or was it the Marines? So I went on the internet just to check. And sure enough, it was the Peace Corps, the toughest job you'll ever love. But right beneath that, there were several websites that said, teaching the toughest job you'll ever love. And all the teachers said, amen, right. After that, it said, motherhood, the toughest job you'll ever love. Then fostering. How many people have fostered children? I know people who foster children, children with severe disabilities, and they do it eagerly with love, as hard as it is, the toughest job you'll ever love. What I'm saying is the teaching of the New Testament is being a Christian disciple, it's the toughest job you'll ever love. It calls for a kind of determination and courage and fortitude and endurance, but it's triumphant. And that's what Christ commended the Christians at Philadelphia for, and he commanded them to continue. And in just that way, the Lord would command us to continue. Hold on to your faith and to following Christ, whatever you might face in your life. So having said that, when, when opposition does build and pressure mounts, and setbacks multiply, and God seems far, far away. What then? Well, from this passage we just read, there are two facts that we can 
find that can help us in situations just like that. The first is God knows, and the second is God reciprocates. You remember those words that we read? God says, or Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know that you have little power and that you have held to my word and have not denied my name. I know it. I've noticed. It matters. See, one of the problems we have when we are facing these troublesome times, especially when it's our faith that gets us in trouble with other people or in situations that, that you know, put pressure on us to do wrong. In those times, we feel like, God, where are you? And we feel like God is not there for us and we can feel abandoned. But the truth is, God knows, God notices. Some years ago, a friend of mine, a pastor of a church, was committed to a mental health hospital. He had some undiagnosed medical issues, including sleep apnea. And he found himself not even realizing he wasn't sleeping during the night. He found himself having hallucinations. He lapsed into a deep depression. He couldn't function. And he ends up, he ends up in this hospital. He, he got there because in a blaze of anger, he pretty much threatened a deacon in the church. If I didn't know all the details and I just heard that by itself, I'd kind of think that was funny. He threatened the deacon in the church. This church loved him. They loved him, but they were scared for him. And it was because of that that he was required to go to a, a hospital. Now, I want you to try to put yourself in his shoes. I mean, here's a pastor. He's been standing up for years talking to people about how to follow Christ and, and trying to show them how God can help them with their problems. And he has no idea what's happening to him. He thinks he's going insane. Just imagine the humiliation he feels. And there he is in that hospital. Oh, yeah, I'm the man with all the answers, and here I am falling apart. It was a dark and difficult time for him. I remember after he got out, I went to go see him, and we were talking, and he said, Paul, he said, tell you the truth, I don't know where God is. I don't know where God is. But I'm hanging by the fingertips of faith that God knows where I am. I don't know where God is, but I have to believe that God knows where I am. When he said that, I thought immediately of these words from Psalm 139. Listen to this. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I love that. When everything's dark, so dark that you can't see God, God sees you. 
The darkness is his light to him. That's a truth to hold on to, to know in those difficult times that God knows. The Lord Jesus Christ knows. And in the midst of it, you are standing faithful to him. You are seeking to follow him faithfully, even though it's not easy. And even though it seems like you've been abandoned, you are not abandoned. And it's important to take that by faith. Tell you the second thing to remember. God knows and God reciprocates. I want to read a couple of verse or read a verse to you. Verse 10 again. He says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. Now, when he speaks of keeping them from the hour of trial, he doesn't mean they won't experience trials. It's like when Jesus said that we should pray, lead us not into temptation. That doesn't mean that we won't ever face temptation. The idea is Father, don't let us be swallowed up by the power of temptation. Don't let us be overcome by it. And so in the same way, the Lord here is saying, I will keep you from being overcome by trials. But notice, notice the reciprocity here. You have kept my command to patiently endure. You haven't given up. You're still following me. Even when the wind blasts you in the face, you keep one foot going in front of the other to finish the race. You have kept my command to patiently endure, and I will keep you. As you have kept my command, I will keep you. As you have done, I will do. There's a reciprocity. Now, that may strike you as strange. You're thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought it was all of grace, that God works out of grace. Yes, let's call it a gracious reciprocity because God upholds us and enables us to endure in the face of all the, the struggles and trials and opposition and whatever we might face. He enables us to do that. And then when we do it, he blesses us far beyond what our obedience deserves. And so God does graciously work in our lives. But what we do matters. That's the point. What we do matters. If we will, if we will hold to God's commands, he will hold to us. And it's important that we do that. It's important that we do that. In verse 11, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Isn't that interesting? Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown, the crown of life, your inheritance. Now, I believe that when someone receives Jesus Christ, they are saved once and for all. Don't get me wrong in what I'm about to say. I believe that. But I also believe that if someone's a follower of Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, they will continue to follow. And when someone hits a hard patch and they turn away, instead of enduring, they turn away. I don't judge because I can't see their heart. I know that either they're a Christian that have been, they've been knocked off balance and they've, they've stepped aside 
that God will bring them back, but they're in a really bad place, or they were never a true believer in the first place. I can't judge. I don't even want to judge, but it's one or the other because Christians will persist and they will endure. And so Jesus says, hold on to what you have so that you don't lose the crown. It's important for us to endure. And this idea of reciprocity is very important because God counts what we do as important. It does matter. It's kind of like, you know what? There's some things that don't happen if we don't pray. And there's some blessings we don't receive if we don't persist in patience. The Bible couldn't be clearer about that. I want to read to you one more passage. And this one's a very nuanced statement dealing with the point I just got through making. It's from 2 Timothy. Listen to these two verses from chapter 2. Three verses, actually. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. Do you see the reciprocity there? And then here's grace. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, now this is, this is a subtle text in some ways. What I take Paul to be saying is this, that it really does matter what we choose. To disown the Lord means that, that we are stepping off onto our own. If we disown him, he disowns us. That's what it says. If we endure, then he stands by us and we will reign with him. But at the same time, through it all, even when we're faithless, he's still faithful. He's still gracious. He's still kind. He's still working in our life. He doesn't give up on us. Why not? Because he can't deny himself. What's that mean? It means that that's what he is. That's who he is. He is a gracious, loving, and good God. And so he works out of that graciousness and love and goodness. I'm not sure if I'm putting this together in a clear way. Let me try one more time. What we have is a God who is gracious and good and merciful reaching out to us. And that's our hope because we all need mercy and grace. We all need it. But at the same time, what we choose matters. The Lord knows and the Lord cares about our choices, and our choices matter. Folks, it's important that as believers, we stand. It's important that we endure with triumphant fortitude, that we remain faithful to Christ. And as we continue to be faithful to Christ, then we will find that he will not let us down. He will not fail us. So you could say we have sort of a, a paradox here. It's a paradox you find in that term, gracious reciprocity. God is gracious, but our choices really do matter. And with that, I want to close. I want to close with an appeal. To some of you, it might be an appeal to return to Christ. Maybe there's been a 
uh, hardness that's settled into your heart because you feel like God has allowed you to go through things you shouldn't have to go through. Or maybe, maybe your Christian faith has brought hardship to you. It happens all the time. Rejection and slander. Maybe that's the case, and you've felt a hardness toward God, and maybe, maybe your, your faith has weakened, and you're, you haven't been following him as devotedly as you once did. Well, now's the time to know your patient endurance, your fortitude, it matters. It matters. God notices And God will stand by you as you stand by him. He will not fail you as you cling to him. He will do more than anything, anything that more than than what we deserve. He will pour out his blessings on us. He is a gracious and good God. But folks, our choices do matter. They do matter. Come back to Christ. Give him your all. And may all of us realize that when we face difficulties and trials of various kinds. God's not on trial. We are. We are. He told us from the very beginning that we would turn the corner and the wind would hit us in the face from one at one time or another. He told us from the beginning. We knew that. You can read the New Testament. You know these things. It's not a bug. It's a feature. Jesus never denied any of that. Then, folks, let's pass the test. Let's pass the test with confidence in our God and joy in salvation. Remember, he's opened the door and we've entered the kingdom. That that is a blessing that goes so far beyond anything we have to suffer. The suffering hardly counts. If we saw it rightly, We would understand that. Knowing that, let's follow our Lord. Whatever it takes and wherever it takes us. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we we acknowledge that you are our Savior. You are Lord of all. And sometimes the cost of following you can be such that that we hesitate or perhaps we get angry or disappointed and we forget that you know, you know, you see us. You may not intervene at the moment we desire, but you still rule and reign in heaven. We know this to be true. And so we pray that you would help us knowing that to give our all in following you. Lord, there may be some here that need to turn to you in a new and fresh way. They need to not just turn to you, but return to you. Lord, would you give them grace to do that right now? There may be others, Lord, who've never, never known you as Lord and Savior, and now's the time. Give them grace to surrender their heart and life to you to receive forgiveness. Move on them. Lord, may all of us, may all of us, putting aside, putting aside anger, resentment, disappointment, frustration over what we face, may we instead 
focus on how you have blessed us with salvation and that we are yours and we can follow you with joy through the midst of everything. We pray this, trusting you by the power of your Holy Spirit to bring it to pass, even now, even now. In Jesus' name, amen.